We are in part four of our sermon series called Save Me. Save Me. We have taken the four weeks leading up to Easter. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday morning. I invite you to join us. Same time right here, 11.15 Sunday morning. I would love to have you invite some friends or neighbors. Typically, people are, there's a lot of people who like to go to church maybe once or twice a year, and Easter is one of those days. So they might just say yes if you were to invite them to church next Sunday. Um, but that's, uh, and that's next Sunday. We've been leading up the four weeks leading into Easter, this idea of salvation, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that as we have focused on this Easter season. So first week, if you were here, um, we talked about that sin in our life, that everything is broken. Our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. And then week two, we can't fix it, it, but it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ that we can receive that mercy and forgiveness from him. Christy spoke last week talking about how it's the love of God that, in, that caused him to send Jesus to die for us. It was his love. He loves you so much. And any tendency you have to think, well, I have to do the right things or behave the right way or behave perfect Christian just to make God happy with me or like me, that's not the case. He loves you no matter what. And then this week, um, Palm Sunday, we are going to talk about this, that we acknowledge that that relationship is broken and we receive the mercy of Jesus Christ and we become saved or we become believers, we become Christians. So the question is this, what now? What now? Okay, so maybe you were a part of a church service maybe in the last few weeks, or maybe at some point in your life and the, pe the preacher said, okay, maybe raise your hand or maybe just pray as this prayer, and you became a follower of Jesus. Maybe you woke up the next morning and thought, okay, well, what now? Like, is it different? I feel... I feel the same. Everything, I don't have, you know, superpowers right now. I'm, you know, I still, for me, it would be like, well, I'm still losing my hair. So that didn't, becoming a Christian didn't stop that. Or like, what now? What are we supposed to do now? What is different now? What is supposed to be different? Is anything supposed to be different after you become a follower of Jesus? And so in my experience, here's what's happened. Here's what happens to a lot of people. Um, they kind of fall into one of these three categories. The first is... They answer the question, what now, with, well, nothing. Nothing changes. I raised my hand in a church service once. Maybe it was when I was a kid or I went forward or somebody prayed for me. And I became a Christian, but then really nothing changed. Um, I just continued on with life. I continued on living exactly the same way. Um, it was kind of like, okay, thanks for that, Jesus, and we will see you in heaven one day. But for now, I'm just going to keep on living life exactly the same. Nothing change. They live life exactly how they lived before. And people would look at that and the topic of Christianity would come up and they would say, well, I'm a Christian. And some people would look at them and be like, really? Like, I don't sense anything different about you. So that would be the first category, the nothing changed category. The category, the second category is one where I have seen a lot of Christians do this. They start to try to clean up the outside, so to speak. Like, well, I'm a Christian now, so I better act like a Christian. And we don't really know what that is, so, well, I, I, I know I probably listen to one of those Christian music stations, and maybe I don't watch those TV shows, but I only watch Christian TV shows, and I listen to Christian music, and, which um, can get old after a while. Christian, I mean, it's good, but after a while, you, you probably think, well, i got to listen to only this and watch only this. I don't read that book because that's not a Christian book. You know, whatever the current 
Christian cultural taboos are, then they kind of avoid those. So for me, for example, growing up as a Christian in the 80s, the Christian taboos, the things that Christian didn't, Christians didn't do were this. They, we didn't listen to secular music, and we didn't go dancing. Okay, so that's why I'm such a terrible dancer. I blame the faith heritage of my family. Um, and secular music was bad, and so if you were a rebellious teenager like me, I had a cassette player, cassette player, under, under my bed that I would listen to my bootlegged Van Halen and Def Leppard mix CD, right? And it was a great mix CD, tape. There was no CDs then. Our mix tape. And you know what, young people, you have no idea how hard it was back in the day, back in the 80s, to create the perfect mix tape. It was not an easy thing. Now it's, if you want to listen to a song by whoever, you just Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, and boom, there it is. You can find anything for free on the internet. Not the case in the 80s with me. If you wanted a mixtape, you had to have a cassette player that you could record and you would play your favorite radio station, and then you'd have to sit there with it, record and pause, right? And you would think, maybe my favorite song is coming now, and as soon as you heard it, you'd press pause at, and it would start recording your favorite song, and hopefully the radio DJ didn't talk all the way through the beginning of the song, and then you'd do that. Or you had a friend who had your favorite music and you had a dual cassette, and you would make the perfect mixtape. It was a lot of work, coming up with your perfect mixtape. Well, that was me. I knew Christians, quote unquote, weren't supposed to listen to this, but I was the rebellious Christian. I listened to my, you know, awesome 80s rock Christian mixtape. That was the cultural taboo in the 80s. In my parents' generation, um, they would say, well, it was movie theaters and playing cards. They weren't allowed to do those things. So they would play Rook, you know, Rook cards. They would stay up all night playing Rook. But if the cards had, like, the faces of the queen and the king and the ace, those were, like, the gambling cards. So those were taboo. Going to a movie theater was taboo. So all these things to illustrate this. Some people fall into the category of, now that I'm a Christian, I have to kind of clean up the outside. I have to do all the Christian things, and that's what's going to make me different. That's what people are going to look at and say, oh, they must be a Christian. Um, and they may be a total mess on the inside, but on the outside, they're doing the Christian-y things. Jesus actually spoke about this in Matthew 23, verse 27. He's talking to the Pharisees, who are the religious people who are all cleaned up on the outside. And he says this to them in verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. What a great visual that Jesus sets up for these people that are all cleaned up and Christian on the outside, but inside are a total mess. He's saying they are like these whitewashed tombs, you know, like the big tombs where the, the body would be in. It's almost like a, a big marble shed. And you go in, and there's the coffin and the body. But on the outside, everything looks clean. On the inside, it's full of death and uncleanliness. This is how some people view Christianity. Well, I just got to look like it on the outside. And there's nothing that changes on the inside. Now, the third group of people is where a lot of people settle. And they see it like this. It's almost like a revolving door. They became a Christian, and now their life is a revolving door of sin and forgiveness. Sin and forgiveness. Illustrated like this. Okay, we know that God is gracious, 
and gives us mercy. And so my whole life is, okay, well, I keep messing up over the same thing. Ask for forgiveness. I keep messing up over the same thing. Ask for forgiveness. Sin, God forgives. Sin, God forgives. Over and over and over. Now, of course, we're never going to be perfect, and we are always going to rely on the grace of God. But is that it? Has anything really changed? Are we becoming new creatures or new creations in Christ? Or are we just continuing to trip over and fall over the same patterns of sin, the same patterns of thought that we did in our old life? It's like we go through life unchanged, but now we just have like the forgiveness punch card where we can say, sorry, Lord, I, for- I messed up. Now I go on, oh, I messed up again. Oh, I do. And it just is the revolving door of sin and forgiveness. So this idea I want to talk about today, what now? We've become saved. We've become Christians. What now? Is there anything that changes? Or is it just about going to heaven someday? Well, there's a story found in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And it's a fairly well-known story. Um, It is the woman who is caught in adultery. And the Pharisees, those religious people that Jesus said are like the whitewashed tombs, they drag this woman who's caught in adultery. Interestingly, they're only dragging the woman. Now, as far as I can tell how it works, it takes two people to be caught in adultery, but they kind of left the man alone. They're just dragging the woman to the temple, and the idea is they're going to try and trick Jesus because they're going to drag this sinful woman to the temple, and they ask Jesus this question. They said, okay, this woman has been caught in adultery. The law says that we should stone her that we should kill her. This is the punishment for this sin. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus knows that they're trying to trap him. He recognizes, he calls their bluff, essentially. And so if you know this story, you know what Jesus says. He says, okay, anybody here who has never sinned, you guys be the first ones to throw the stone. Be the first one to cast the stone if you have never sinned. Well, of course, he totally gets them. And they're like, well, that's not me. And so one by one, they start walking away until all that's left are this woman and Jesus. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And the woman says, they are gone. Now, it's a great story. It's a great story. It is a story about forgiveness. Um, It is a story about this woman receiving the mercy of Jesus. But that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is found in verse 11. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Look at what Jesus says to this woman. After all her accusers have gone, after he has given mercy, it says this. Throw that up on the screen. This is what Jesus says. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go now and leave your life of sin. Wait a minute. Leave your life of sin? Is that even possible? Like, Can we leave a life of sin? This is what Jesus is saying. How is this possible. What Jesus is saying is that being a Christian isn't just about getting to heaven. It's about his power and his mercy enables us to take our old lives and leave those old lives and live new life. We begin to change. The answer to the what now question is we begin to change. Not just cleaning up the outside, but change from within where the Spirit of God comes in us and we begin to leave the old patterns of sin. There's a passage of Scripture which uh, illustrates this really well. 
Now, this scripture we know from the Christmas story. This might be the first time I've ever read this passage of scripture outside the month of December. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. This is when the angel appears to Joseph, telling Joseph he's about to be a father. There, Mary is pregnant and about to give birth to a baby. We know this from Christmas, and this is the words, Matthew 1, 20 through 21. Let's put them up on the screen. This is what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And here's the words that I put in bold, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save the people from their sins. Now, when I read this growing up, I always heard it a different way. Maybe you hear it a different way. We, we read, save his people from their sins, and what we hear in our minds is he will forgive the people of their sins. We will forgive, he will forgive the people of their sins. Like, Jesus came to bring us forgiveness for our sins, which is a part of it. But what Jesus, what the angel is saying, he will save the people from their sins. So the difference is this. Jesus came not just to save us from the penalty of our sin. Jesus came to save us from the power of sin in our life. Not just to save us from the penalty of sin, but to save us from the power of sin in our life. So it is possible for us to be changed, to leave a life of sin, and to live as people free from not only the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death, but free from the power of of sin in our life. There is a Bible-sounding word that describes this process of being changed and being made more like Jesus, and that word is sanctification. Sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. There you go. Sounds like a good, it almost sounds like one of those 80s metal Christian bands, right? Sanctification. This Friday night at the Roy Wilkins Auditorium sanctification. Of course, it would be the Roy Wilkins, right? Because they're not going to sell out the X or anything like that. These, did anyone listen to like 80s Christian rock? There were some really pretty awesome names. And I see that. I see that hand Striper. Yes. There was a few good bands. White Cross. Not me. I was listening to my bootleg cassette of Van Halen and Def Leppard, hoping my parents wouldn't find the, the forbidden cassette player under the bed. Um, sanctification. This idea, this process of being changed, becoming more like Jesus. The process of becoming sanctified, holy, and righteous. When we become followers of Jesus, we are forgiven and given a new life. Not just heaven, but abundant life right now. Being changed from the inside, having our heart changed. No longer conforming to our old ways of life, no longer getting tripped up by the same patterns of sin, but we begin to see change. We begin to become more like Jesus. So that is the answer to the what now question. For those who have received the salvation and mercy of Jesus, what now? We begin to be changed and become more like Jesus from the inside out. Now, we will always mess up, and I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I'm so thankful for his mercy and grace. Um, we're always going to fall short, and we rely on that grace, but there is a process where we live every day becoming more like Jesus, becoming changed from the inside out, living that new life. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God living in us, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit 
more evident in our life. Those are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness, all these things. We begin to see those things become more evident. We begin to live each day where before we would live just for ourselves or live for just kind of making it through the day. Now we have this new purpose and calling. God, I give every day to you. I put you first. I want to be more like you and honor you in everything we do today. This is the process of being sanctified, of being changed, about living abundant life here today, not just waiting for heaven where we will be ultimately changed and set free. But now each day we begin to see kind of that heaven come to earth where we begin to, to see that change in us, abundant life, living it today. Through this series, we've looked at the book of Romans a little bit. So if you have a Bible, we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The book of Romans, which really was kind of the framework for this whole series, really walks through this salvation message talking about we are fallen, we need a Savior, talking about we can't earn it, but it's because of Jesus Christ, the free gift, talking about how now we live as changed people. If you were looking for something to read this week, read through the book of Romans. There is some pretty deep stuff in there. There's some stuff that even I read, and I'm like, I'm not sure what they're saying. So by all means, read through, and if there's stuff that doesn't really make sense, just keep reading. There is so much good stuff in there. We're going to look at Romans chapter 6. And this is after the Apostle Paul, who is the writer of this letter, this book, has set up the idea of what we've been talking about. We fall short. Sin has broken our relationship with God. It's the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. We receive it through faith. And then chapter 6 picks up. says this. I'm going to read some verses, starting with verse 1 through 5 in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Basically, Paul is saying, because of all this, because of all that I've said so far, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or, do you, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We're going to pause there just for a minute. What Paul is saying is, and what we're celebrating this weekend, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we, as his followers, when we accept the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, we, like Christ died for us, we died to that old life. And as Christ was raised to new life, we are raised to new life in Christ. New life, no longer conforming to the patterns of sin. Living a new life. These are the words that the Apostle Paul says. If you've been water baptized or have ever... Um, considered it. We're going to have a water baptism service this summer. But really, what water baptism is, is symbolic of that. When we get lowered into the water, it symbolizes us dying to our old life. And then when we are raised back up out of the water, it signifies we are raised in new life, new life in Christ, just as Jesus died on the cross and then rose again. That is what happens to us when we become followers of Jesus, when we have new life. This is what happens. I'm going to continue on in verse 6. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. What powerful words, that old life. And how Paul describes it is we were slaves to sin. Sin was our master. We obeyed everything that sin asked us to do. But now we have died to that and we have been set free. No longer a slave to sin. Jump ahead to verse 11. It says this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. I love that word. Don't let sin reign. Don't let sin be your master anymore. Don't let sin control you. Don't walk through life in that same old pattern before you became a follower of Jesus where it's just, I keep messing up over the same thing. I keep tripping over the same thing, thinking that all you have is the forgiveness of Jesus, which is amazing. But you have more than that. You have new life. You have freedom from that master. You are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is not your master anymore. You no longer have to obey every desire or lust or craving of the sinful nature. You have died to sin and you live new life in Christ. So the answer to the what now question, I've become a follower of Jesus, what now? That is it. We forego living as a slave to sin and we become alive, new life in Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday. And if you know the story in Scripture is the start of Holy Week, and it was the week before Jesus was crucified and rose again, he rode into Jerusalem, and he rode in on a donkey, and this happened to fulfill some Old Testament prophecies. The nation of Israel, all the Jewish people, they would have said, okay, we know our Messiah is coming, and we know the Old Testament prophesies about him, and one of the prophecies says that he's going to ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and he is going to save his people. And so Palm Sunday, 2,000 and some years ago, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and the people line the streets and they are cheering and praising him. They're saying, we know it's you. We know you're the Messiah. We know, and they're waving palm branches. And they're saying, we know you are Hosanna. You are the one sent from God. You are the one who is going to save us and deliver us. They shouted, Hosanna. This is portrayed as a very worshipful moment. And in a way it was, because they were acknowledging, this is the Messiah. This is the one sent from God. This is the one who is going to save us. But there was more going on in this moment. At the moment, and I've explained this before, Israel was part of the Roman Empire. They were subject to Rome. They were basically slaves, slaves to Rome. And so when they heard that Jesus the Messiah was going to come save his people, they instantly thought, well, he is obviously going to save us from Rome. Our um, accusers, the people who lord over us, the people who mistreat us, he is going to deliver us from Rome. That Rome would no longer be their master. Jesus would rise up and lead this rebellion. In fact, the palm branches I've read were a symbol of like national pride. Almost like we know you're going to give us freedom. You're going to deliver us from our oppressors, from Rome. 
Well, we know that Jesus was not there to accomplish that. He wasn't there to lead a rebellion against Rome. Jesus didn't do that. And I've often wondered why, in one week, all those people who were lining the streets, praising him, waving the palm branches, saying, Hosanna in the highest. We know you're the Messiah. We know you're the Son of God. In a matter of a few days, all of them were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What happened in those few days? Well, one of the things, one of the main things, was Jesus didn't do what they were expecting him to do. He didn't rise up and lead a rebellion. They kept waiting for him to say, okay, we are throwing off the shackles of Rome, and we are going to deliver ourselves from this tyranny of Rome, this empire, these masters that lord over us. And so he was crucified, and when he died, he did not deliver the nation of Israel. He did not deliver his people from Rome. He delivered his people from sin. That is what Jesus was there to do. The people didn't see it. We see it now in hindsight. He was not there to lead a political rebellion. He was there, as that angel said to Joseph when he was about to be born, he is coming to save his people from sin, from the rule of sin, from the empire of sin, from sin being their master. This is what Jesus came to do, that they would no longer be subject and slaves to sin but free, able to live their life, free from sin, to be changed, to be more like Jesus. And this is what is provided for us, this idea of sanctification, this idea of being new in Christ. When we receive the grace of Christ, now we are made new, and we can leave our old life bound as slaves to sin and live new life in Jesus. We must live every day knowing that this freedom has been provided, right? We got to live every day like that. About 150 years ago, near the end of the Civil War, as the Union Army was going around defeating the Confederate Army all along the South, what was happening is that slaves weren't being freed. This was all, this was about freeing people from slavery, and the slaves weren't being freed. But to President Lincoln, the four million slaves of the South were already free. They just didn't know it. And so he issued his Emancipation Proclamation, which would take effect on January 1st, 1863. And this proclamation declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states, are here and henceforward shall be free. All the slaves henceforward shall be free. Now, word of mouth was supposed to do the rest. This proclamation was made, and it was just supposed to spread. But what was happening is this, the slaves didn't either hear it or they didn't believe it. The slaves were supposed to feel empowered to rise up against their owners, but this didn't happen. Not enough of them got the news. So even after this proclamation had been made, declaring their freedom, even after the freedom had been provided and made official and made real, they were still living as slaves. They didn't know. They didn't know that anything had changed. They didn't know that they could be bold and to release themselves from the old life as slaves and live new life in freedom. They didn't know, and they were still living as slaves. And so as the Union Army would travel around and they would bring the good news to them and say, you, you're already free. 
You've been free for some time now. You just didn't realize it. Now it's time to live in freedom. The freedom has been provided. Now it's time to live in this freedom. Imagine those people being free but not knowing it. Freedom has been provided, but they're still living as slaves. They didn't know. Imagine that. We do the same thing in our life. We are living as slaves to sin when freedom from sin has been provided. The proclamation has been made that you are free. You are free. Jesus provided this on the cross. Let's not live as slaves to sin anymore. Let's not live tripping ourselves over the same patterns. Live new, free, abundant life in Jesus Christ. Amen? This is what being a follower of Jesus looks like. This is the answer to the what now question is we live as new people. We live new life. And so practically speaking, maybe you're here today and you are still living in the old patterns of life. You just are living in that revolving door of, I sin, God forgives. I sin, God forgives. You need to live new life realizing that you have been freed from sin being your master. You no longer have to let sin reign in your hearts, as those words in Romans said. You can live new life. So maybe some of you, you just need to live that way. You have just been bound by an area of sin in your life, and you need to make a declaration today that says, you know what? I am not slave to this. This does not need to be my master. This does not lord over me and rule over me. I can live in new life. And I would encourage you this week to walk in new life. Sometimes when you feel the old temptation or the old life coming up, you can say, no, it has been proclaimed that I am free. It has been provided that I am set free, and you can walk in new life. But as a church, there's another point that I want to make. And as we continue to see people from our community come and join us as a community of believers in, in Homestead Church, we have to make sure we're not the people who are like the Pharisees saying, okay, well, now you, you want to come to church, you want to be a Christian, you've got to clean yourself up on the outside you know, make sure you hand over all those bootleg cassette tapes of your Def Leppard mix, you know, all that stuff, right? Make sure you're not doing any of those things. we got to clean you up before you can really join us. No, this is not how it works. And we love to fall into the trap of saying, well, you got to get rid of this, 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 and then you can be one of us. No. How change works with all of us, including those who have yet to join us, is this. We point them to Jesus and we say there is new life mercy and forgiveness. And then we begin to see God change them from the inside. And we come alongside of them and we, we encourage them. Just as they encourage us as we are all trying to live this new life in Christ. But we allow God, the Holy Spirit in them, to do all the changing. And we encourage and love. That's our job to love people, to disciple them in sharing the good news and saying this is available for you. But the Holy Spirit comes in and changes lives. So let's not fall into the, the trap of whitewashing the tombs of the people and say, well, we've got to clean you up on the outside. Let's allow the Word of God and His Holy Spirit to change people from the inside out. Then we'll be able to say, okay, we're followers of Jesus. What now? And we'll be able to say we are now seeing the fruit of God in our lives. We're seeing this change take place. We are walking every day more and more as new free, saved people. Let's pray together.
Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your salvation. We, going into this week, uh, I pray that we would be mindful every day of this is real. This happened. You died for us. You rose again to new life. We believe it. We declare it. We know that you did that. And we thank you that you have provided us a way to be made right with God. And that is not just so that we can spend eternity in heaven, although that is awesome. It's so that now we can begin to live as new creations. We no longer have to have sin as our master. We no longer have to have sin and old patterns reign over us, but we can live new life. So Lord, help us, each of us, in real practical ways to live that new life this week. And Lord, help us to have our eyes open and our hearts open to you as you speak to us this week. Maybe it's to share the gospel with somebody. Maybe it's to just to be a, a listening ear to someone or to be practical help to somebody. Maybe it's to invite them to church on Easter Sunday so that they could celebrate new life together with us. Lord, we want to be used of you. We want to walk in new life every day. Help us to do that and to become more and more sanctified, more and more like you, changed, made in your image more and more every day. That's our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.